Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you get ahead and be turning to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We've been talking about this, the theme that we're in the series we're on is that it is kingdom living in a fallen world. Kingdom living in a fallen world. We've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. We've been discussing a number of things about the kingdom of heaven. We saw where the kingdom of this world was built and created by God, just as the kingdom of heaven was created by God. Whenever it was created, it was created absolutely perfect. But something happened. Whenever God created this world, he also placed man in dominion of it. And man fell. And because man fell, that brought sin. And sin wrecked this world. It wrecked the lives of people. But it also wrecked the world in which we live. And the kingdom of the world is a lost kingdom. And therefore, it needs to be reclaimed by the heavenly kingdom. And we'll discover next week. I'm excited about getting to that point. Discover next week about... When is the introduction of the heavenly kingdom back in this world? And how did that take place? And we'll be focusing on that kingdom introduction and how we got introduced to the kingdom of heaven and how we live in that. And then ultimately and finally, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like when the kingdom of heaven comes to this earth. We talked about that in the book of Revelation. So we'll be discussing all about kingdom living. But one last message I want to give to you about the foundation of the kingdom of heaven is I want to share with you about the prophecies and what one prophet said about the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to do this, do this for you because I want you to see that what Amos said in Amos chapter 3 verse 7 is true. Listen to what Amos said in Amos 3 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. You hear what it said? God doesn't do anything in this world Unless he first reveals through his prophets the secret of what he's doing. Isn't that neat? I'm so excited about that, that God did that. You know why? Because it reveals to us that we serve a God who tells us what he's going to do before he does it. So that whenever he does it, he gets the glory for it. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a God like that. I'm glad I serve a God who already knows what's going to happen in the past and in the future. He's not ever surprised by anything, amen? And he lays out the plan of how it's going to be and describes what's going to happen all along the way. Well, that being true, that would mean then in regard to this kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven, if what Amos says is true, that somewhere in God's word, there will be a prophet who's going to tell us about the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. And going to reveal to us about how that's going to work and and how it's going to take place and what the kingdom of heaven eventually does. Well, I'm here to tell you what Amos said is true. Amen. What Amos said is true. and, And the prophet that we find to tell us about the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven is the man Daniel. So that's why I had you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel is that that great man of God. 
He was one of those who was taken by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians from their homeland of Judah, carried over to Babylon to live there, the best young people that Israel had to offer. And Daniel was one of those outstanding ones, and he was dedicated to the Lord. Whenever they tried to feed him food that wasn't acceptable, he made the agreement with the one who was overseeing them, said, let us eat what God tells us to eat and find out if we're not better. And, and that he allowed them to do that, and what happened? Daniel and his friends, they were all stronger and better and wiser. And they just began to be, grow and be promoted to different responsibilities and those kinds of things. And you come to Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel chapter 2, you find the first prophecy, the first prophecy that Daniel is going to share regarding the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of heaven. And it comes through Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. When he had that dream, it so bothered him, that dream he had so bothered him that he wanted his wise men to interpret the dream for him. So he called all the wise men of his kingdom, brought every one of them in, and he told them, I want you to tell me what my dream means. But what I want you to do is, first of all, I want you to tell me my dream, and then I want you to tell me what it means. <laughs> his wise men said, uh, well, first tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He never could have said, no, I'm not going to do that. If you're really wise men... You ought to be able to tell me what my dream is, and then you tell me the interpretation. Those wise men said, nobody's ever done that. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen to me. No, nobody asks you to tell the dream and then tell the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, that's what's going to happen because I'm not about to let you just hear my dream and then make up something together that you'd satisfy yourself. That's not the way it's going to happen. Somebody better be able to tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation or all of you are going to die. And he put out the order. That all the wise men were to be put to death if they could not tell him his dream and tell him the interpretation. Well, one of those wise men was Daniel. And whenever they brought the message to Daniel and told him that, well, all the people, and that includes you, are going to be killed unless somebody can give an interpretation. Daniel says, well, let me ask God. So he goes and he talks to God and says, God, would you give me the dream and the interpretation? What did God do? God gave him the dream and the interpretation of that dream. And Daniel tells the man, the messenger from Nebuchadnezzar, says, tell Nebuchadnezzar that, that I can tell him his dream and his interpretation. So when they told Nebuchadnezzar that, he brought Daniel into his presence. All right. He brings him into his presence and he says, well, I understand that you can give me the interpretation. He says, well, it's not really me who gives the interpretation, but it's, it's the God that I serve. <laughs> the God that I serve is able to tell me the dream and the interpretation. So I want you to understand, and Daniel always did that. He says, the glory goes to God, not to me. The glory goes to God. And so here in Daniel chapter 2, he tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream. And when he tells him the dream, he's going to also tell him the interpretation. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold. I want to go ahead, Bailey, and put that up there. I want you to see a, a, a rendering of that statue, all right? All right, there's the rendering of the statue. 
The head of the statue is made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out of without hands and it struck the statue on its feet and iron clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, that was the, that was the dream that he had, this statue and then the stone being cut out and comes and hits the statue and crushes the statue. And then that stone becomes a, a great mountain. And that, that's the dream that he had. But he goes on and he gives the interpretation. Look at verse 36. This was a dream. Now we shall tell you the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he's given them into your hand, and it caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron breaks to pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, and it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as there saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up, underline this, set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as I saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future so that the dream is true And its interpretation is trustworthy. Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream. And Daniel is now given an interpretation of what things are yet to happen in the future. What things are to happen in the kingdoms of this world. And what will happen in the kingdom of heaven. And it all has to do with this statue or the dream that he had. Each one of those particular parts of that statue represent one of the world kingdoms. Do you understand that there were four kingdoms that were world-ruling kingdoms? We think we're a, a, a world power, and we are a world power, but we do not rule the world, do we? There were four kingdoms that ruled the world. There were Babylon ruled the world. The Medo-Persians ruled the known world at that time. The Greeks then ruled it under Alexander the Great, the known world at that time. And then finally, ultimately, there was Rome. 
Those were the four kingdoms that ruled the world. Now, whenever this dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. That means that he's the only one that would exist at that time. What is going to be shared with him and shared with him is that there are other kingdoms coming of the world and that ultimately there's going to be a kingdom that comes from heaven that will never have an end. So I want to go through this with you for just a moment and give you the, the uh, breakdown. The dream showed the statue, the head of gold, the chest of silver, the belly of thighs were bronze, the legs were made of iron and the feet with iron mixed with clay. That first part is Babylon. The Babylonian Empire ran from 626 to 539 BC, and it's the head of fine gold. It's Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he said. You are the one who rules over all of the earth, over all of the world. Daniel interpreted the king, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a statue that had a head of fine gold. The head represented the kingdom of Babylon, which the Lord gave King Nebuchadnezzar to rule. The gold symbolized the superior power of Babylon. But eventually, Babylonia would be destroyed by an inferior kingdom. What inferior kingdom is that? It's the second kingdom. That was the Medo-Persian kingdom. It was represented by the chest and arms of silver. Two arms representing two different groups, Medos and Persians. Remember that? The Medo-Persians. And says they are the second power, but they are inferior. They were inferior to Babylon. They weren't as great as Babylon. Just as silver is inferior to gold. If I had an ounce of silver and said, I'll trade an ounce of silver for your ounce of gold. Would you make that deal? If you would, see me afterwards. Because what? Because gold is of greater value than what? Than the silver. So because they were silver, they were inferior. It's less than the value of gold. Eventually, Persia, though, would be conquered by another kingdom. And that kingdom is what? That kingdom is the kingdom of Greece, the Greeks, the Greeks. 32, 332 to 63 BC, the Greeks ruled. Alexander the Great was the one who conquered the world at that time, representing the belly and thighs of bronze. All right? The belly and thighs of bronze, made of, they were made of bronze, represents the kingdom of Greece. The third kingdom would rule over the whole world. Bronze is of lesser value than silver, symbolized by the inferior status of Greece to that of the Persians, and eventually the Greeks would be conquered by another kingdom. What was the fourth kingdom that's coming up? Yeah, it's represented by the feet of clay and the legs of iron. It is Rome. Rome defeated, the Romans defeated the Greeks in 63 B.C., and they ruled all the way up to the time of Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, who crucified him? The Romans crucified him in the first, church, first century church. Who were they dealing with? They were dealing with the Romans. That was the fourth kingdom, all right? Representing Rome, let's see it goes on. Let me see that next string. The legs were made of iron. The feet were a mixture of both iron and clay. The legs of iron suggest the kingdom would be strong as iron and would break, smash, and crush things. But when it comes down to this kingdom would be divided kingdom, Differ from others, both strong and weak. And that was the way the Romans were. They were strong and weak. There's some things that were really strong about the Roman Empire, some things very weak about the Roman Empire. And this kingdom would be a mixture of people who would not be united. 
I want to tell you something about the Roman Empire. Do you know the Roman Empire was never defeated? It was never defeated. The Roman Empire still exists today in different countries, different places. Whether you know it or not, we're part of the Roman Empire. Because you know, our ancestors all came from those places where Rome had been in charge. And actually, at the end of time, whenever we study in the Revelation, if you'll remember, the Roman Empire, when those ten nations come together, is the Roman Empire reinstitutes itself. And is going to be that power over which the Antichrist is ruling whenever Jesus will come again. You remember us talking about that? So you see this picture regarding those four kingdoms. And that happened exactly like it says going to happen. What? Every one of those kingdoms took place just like he said it was going to be. Here's going to rule. This one's going to rule. That one's going to rule. That one's going to rule. But the, the other part of that dream was what? The other part of that dream was that there was a what? A stone. You remember that? There was a stone. It was cut out without hands. It was made without man's hands. And that stone represents the eternal everlasting kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. I told you that the kingdom of heaven is known as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, or an everlasting kingdom. And that stone represents the everlasting kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. And when does it come into play? It comes into play during the time of the Roman Empire. Isn't that something? He tells you exactly when the kingdom of heaven is going to be introduced during the Roman rule. And when did Jesus come into this earth, which you'll find out Jesus is the introduction of the kingdom of heaven into our world. All right. The kingdom of heaven invading our world is happened at Bethlehem when Jesus comes into the world and Jesus lives here and he invades this world and invades the hearts of people. And the kingdom of heaven is birthed and begins to impact this world. And when did it take place? During the Roman Empire. Just as Daniel said that it would happen. And what did he say? He said that stone is going to come and it's going to crush, it's going to crush the feet of and the clay of iron and clay of the Romans. In other words, that, that kingdom of heaven is going to be greater than the kingdom of Rome. It's going to be greater. It's going to have a greater impact than the kingdom of Rome. He says, eventually that stone that was not made by man, not cut out by man. And hold on a second. Jesus came here to this world, but he was not made by man, was he? He was birthed by Mary, but he was the seed of God, the miraculous conception, not made by man. Here's the kingdom of heaven, but eventually that kingdom of heaven, that stone is going to grow up and become a mountain and the mountain is a picture of the kingdom and that, that one who comes is the stone, the chief cornerstone upon this rock I shall build my church. Y'all, any of those speak to you? Any of those have any meaning to you? They have great meaning in the kingdom of heaven. So here is Jesus coming into the world, stone not cut out by the hand of man, but eventually become a mountain and establish the kingdom. And what do you say about that kingdom? This kingdom will have no end. This kingdom will have no end. It is an everlasting, forever kingdom that will rule over all of mankind and will have more significance than the kingdoms of the world. 
You look at that, read that. Well, there's a second though. Daniel, it wasn't enough just for Daniel to get one interpretation. In Daniel chapter 7, very quickly. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel himself has a vision. He has a vision that troubles him. And in that vision, it is a repeat in a different sense about the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. There, there's the first, let's move to that, Bailey, if we could, picture of the, of the lion. There was a, this one was, uh, was the lion who had wings on his back. And this is going to represent, once again, the first of those kingdoms. That's Nebuchadnezzar, our Babylonian. In the Bible, it refers, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it refers to the Babylonian kingdom as both the lion and the eagle. And therefore, when you combine those two together, you see that this represents the kingdom of Babylon. Look what it says then next. And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise, devour much meat. The bear represents who? The Medo-Persians raised up on one side. The Persians are more significant than the bear, uh, than, than the Medes were in relationship to that. And looked like a bear. Goes on, it says, And after this I kept looking, behold, another one like a leopard, which was on its back four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. The third is that like the leopard. Leopard's known for what? Their speed. Their speed and, and, the, and putting wings on it multiplies their speed. It talks about that kingdom is going to take control rapidly. Do you know how long it took Alexander the Great and the Greeks to take over the known world? Four years. In four years, they conquered the known world all the way to India. That's how rapidly they took it over. And it represents soup. It represents the Greeks. In relationship to that. Not only that, what it says here, it says, after this, verse 7, I saw a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it was hard, it, it had large iron teeth. There's that same iron. It devoured and crushed with its feet, different from all the beasts that were before it, and had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, one of the, another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns were pulled up by the roots before him. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth uttering great boast. This is the Roman kingdom. But not only the Roman kingdom in the day of Jesus, but the Roman kingdom at the end of time. When it talks about the horns, the ten horns, it talks about one horn rises up. It's speaking about the Antichrist that is going to, he's going to be birthed out of and going to control, take control over the reestablished Roman kingdom. The Roman kingdom at that time. And Daniel sees that picture played out right here. 
But that's not all. He goes on, he says he sees the vision of the Ancient of Days. That's God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And then he gets down to verse 13. Listen. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Over in verses 26 and 27, it gives a little bit more of a definition. The court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, talking about that ruler of the world, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Do you hear what Daniel is saying? In the 5th, 6th century BC, he's just laid out every one of the kingdoms, how they're going to be in order, and they happen just exactly like he saw in both Nebuchadnezzar's dream and in his vision. And it happened just exactly like he said. But what also happened? Just exactly like he said, that along with those worldly kingdoms happened, there's going to be the introduction of a heavenly kingdom. There's going to be an introduction of an everlasting kingdom. There's going to be one who's going to come to establish something that is going to be unique and different from all the other kingdoms of the world. And it's going to come through one who is a stone not cut out by hand, one who's called the Son of Man. Do you know how many times Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man? You say, why would Jesus say he's the Son of Man? He's referring back to what Daniel said. There's one who's coming who's the Son of Man who'll be given all authority and dominion and power and his kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. He wants, to, he wants us to know that he is the fulfillment of what Daniel had said. And what Daniel said was this. There are going to be the kingdoms of this world, and they are going to happen. They're going to rule. They're going to reign. They're going to be in the midst of it. But, but the most important thing is there's one that's coming that is a heavenly kingdom. A heavenly kingdom. And that heavenly kingdom is going to be introduced in this world by one who's the son of man. By the stone cut out, not by hand, can be introduced in this world and ultimately is going to be ruled over that same son of man, totally and absolutely ruling forever, which tells us something that we already know. We know that Jesus came into the world during the Roman Empire, didn't he? We know that he came into the world and did he impact his world? He certainly did. The Roman Empire, as far as its power, is no more. But the power of the kingdom of Jesus lives on. Amen. All across this world, all across this world, there are people who've been saved and who live for Jesus and walk for Jesus and given their life to Jesus. And that's an eternal kingdom that they serve in. And there is forever always the remnant in every corner of the world of those people who are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And we're holding on, as Kevin's song said, and I love that song, we're holding on because we're almost home. We're almost home. And almost home is what? 
It's whenever he finally and ultimately comes and establishes his kingdom on this earth. Whenever he comes and he rules and reigns and sets up the millennial reign and gives us a new heaven and a new earth, all of that's going to happen. And that's when the kingdom of heaven comes to the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world now is overshadowed by and controlled by the kingdom of heaven. And God makes all things new and he makes it perfect like he did initially. And he does all of that because he said he would do it. It's not, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. It certainly shouldn't be a surprise to us that the God who says what he's going to do before he does it, does it exactly like he says he's going to do it and fulfills it ultimately and always. And he told that to Daniel thousands of years ago. He laid it, laid it out vividly for Daniel thousands of years ago, even the interpretation of what's going to happen before they've ever heard of the Medo-Persians, before they've ever heard of the Greeks, before they've ever heard of Rome, before they've ever heard of anything else. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way the world is going to follow. But then this is what's going to happen in the kingdom of heaven. This is what's going to take place in the kingdom of heaven. See, friend, if, if I were here today and I didn't, I didn't know Jesus and I didn't know if I wanted to believe in Jesus... The thing that would convince me most about serving Jesus, believing that the word of God is true, is because the Bible records it before it happens so that whenever it happens, you know that God is in charge. He is in charge. There's no way, there's no way to do that. There's no way to, to manipulate that. There's no way to take writings from hundreds of years ago and to make it fit the pattern. There's, there, there, there's no way for all those pieces of the puzzle and all those actors in the play, there's no way for that to be orchestrated unless there's someone behind all that. And there is God. God. And, and he lays it out so that each of us, even with our minds, not just, not just with faith, but with our minds. And the rationale of our minds says, something's got to be behind this. God's got to be in charge of this. This couldn't just happen. There's someone who orchestrates this. And there is God. And that God has written about the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of heaven and telling you that it's a forever kingdom. And the question is, are you a part of the forever kingdom? You might be proud to be a citizen of the United States, and that's great and wonderful, but that's not going to get you to the eternal kingdom, <laughs> all right? What matters most is that you're a part of the kingdom of heaven because you've given your heart to Christ, to Jesus, believing when Jesus died on that cross, he paid the price for your sin. Believing that Jesus is the answer for your sin and your introduction into the kingdom of God. And whenever you ask Jesus in your heart, the kingdom of heaven is birthed in you. It's birthed in you. You experience it in your heart and your life. You, you have this sealing of the spirit of God. You have this alive spirit within you. I can't describe it. Can y'all describe it? But I can tell you one thing, it's like being dead and coming alive. Because Jesus Christ brings you back to what you were supposed to be. Return of the glory of God in your heart and life. And 
And if you don't know that experience, you need to know that. You need to give your heart to Jesus today. You need to trust in Jesus today. Because I'm here to tell you, he rules and reigns and his kingdom is forever. And one day he's coming back to establish his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven here on this earth. And you want to be a part of that kingdom. If you're not, today's the day to do that. If you are, you ought to be thankful. that God spoke to your heart. You responded. Amen. And that the God who tells us everything for it happens. So that we'll know him for who he is. Has spoken to us and we responded. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.